Hi, I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist turned entrepreneur. If you work in conservation or are even trying to get your foot in the door in this industry, you're probably sick of being underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories, interviews, and thoughts from folks just like you, driven by a passion to make a difference on our planet. This is Nova Conversations. Hey guys, and welcome to our very first interview with Nova Conversations podcast. In this episode, I interview Emily Davis. Now, full disclosure, Emily is a graduate student with us at Nova Conservation. She actually just finished up here as I'm recording this in fall of 2021. So she did her project helping us with Nova work and covering some of the ethical dilemmas that come with conservation organizations and pay-to-work, pay-to-play projects. So when we first sat down and met and I heard her story that she's going to share in this podcast, I just knew I had to get it out to people so that other people don't get taken advantage of like she unfortunately did. Uh, There's just so much room for exploitation and pay-to-work schemes in our conservation sector from well-meaning people like Emily and probably like some of you. So if you have a similar story, share it. This is just blatant exploitation where she paid a large sum of money and then didn't get what she signed up for. And in fact, they took advantage of her, didn't help the Ecuadorian people or or culture or conservation or wildlife there whatsoever. And then also involved some gaslighting where they were saying this is good and helpful and it clearly wasn't. So Stay tuned at the end of the episode for tips at the end to avoid exploitation and to avoid being taken advantage of like this in the future. And I hope this helps. If if it does help, let us know. Please review this podcast and rate it. Leave a comment. That helps gain exposure for us. And we also have a Patreon page. So if you like that, stay tuned at the end to hear about how to find our Patreon. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Emily Davis. Emily, it is so good to see you. Welcome to the first interview for Nova Conversations podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I I just got my Invisalign in two days ago. And of course, it's right before this podcast begins. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I already have a list to begin with. I had to go to speech therapy when I was little and now it's even worse. And so I apologize in advance for you and our listeners who are hearing me and like thinking that I talk like Darla from (laughs) Finding Nemo or something like that. Like, I feel like I'm back in middle school. Like it's just really uncomfortable and yeah, I don't like it very much. I I kind of regret getting it to be honest. Like it's been, (laughs) it's been less than 24 hours. And I'm already like about to call it my dentist. Yeah. And yeah. on a rip them out and be like, I, this was a huge mistake. It's <laughs> way more, take it, take it. It's way more disruptive to my life than I thought. Like, I guess I had envisioned Invisalign being like just retainers that you put in and somehow it moves your teeth. But it's like you have brackets. I have brackets on my teeth, oh, man. like braces. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I didn't, I should have done my research, 
but so when I even when I take them out it still scratches up my it's still there lip so I keep doing I keep reading people are like it gets better it gets better but um it's I'm in the uncomfortable not fun stage right now so all that to be said I'm going to let you do most of the talking um (laughs) I will say because this is a new podcast I'm gonna try to reiterate in my head and to our guests like what we're focusing on and what we are not. So what we're not is I'm not going to provide, like, I'm not going to ask you scientific information, um, like about biological or environmental science stuff. There's tons of resources out there for environmental facts. If you want them, everyone knows by this point that our ecosystems are degrading and climate change is human caused and we need to do stuff about it. So if you want to find tips and advice, this is not the podcast for that we are talking about just real life stories for people who have wanted to break into the conservation industry, wanted to help wildlife, help um, ecosystems in some way and felt like they were being taken advantage of. So I'm not gonna talk to like big names in the industry necessarily. I just wanna have real conversations with real people and um, just hear your stories, just know the conversations um, for our, little organization with a conservation. Another thing it isn't is um, people, a lot of people ask like me personally career advice. And I, I love helping people out, but there are tons of other resources for career advice in this industry. So I can link some in the show notes and direct you somewhere else. If you're looking to get into the industry and find career advice, we have a few blogs and things, but um, right now we are just wanting to have conversations with people who have been in the trenches who make very little money in this industry and find solutions to improving our wildlife, our habitats, our ecosystems, and this industry as a whole so that we protect not only what's out there, but ourselves too. And we get paid what we're worth too. So that's my plan. So um, I'm going to start by asking I've already said my first question I'm going to ask people is what's your favorite like nature or field story like when you were outside um something funny something heartwarming something embarrassing like what story do you want to share with people like if you're at a party and someone says hey tell me about a story out in nature instead of them talking about their experiences you're like I want to share this story now's your chance you have a platform to share your favorite nature or field work story oh man um <laughs> put me on the spot already I'm, yes <laughs> I'm honestly I'm not sure if I have one because I honestly haven't really had much field work experience uh minus the one um eco volunteer trip that I'll be talking about and it mm-hmm. ended up not really being field work yeah. um so I actually, for my bachelor's degree, I'm finishing up my master's degree in environmental science right now. And for my bachelor's degree, I actually got my degree in humanities. So I focus on like philosophy about, you know, humans are the cause of climate change. So I study humans and, uh, you know, environmental ethics and things like that, which was great. And I loved getting my degree in that, but they didn't really leave many opportunities for field work. So I didn't really get too many field work experiences, um, especially during my bachelor's. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the last year and a half has been COVID ruining everything. So I haven't been able to take opportunities of field work now either. So I'm right. hoping one day I'll have some 
some nice uh, funny story to tell about field work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, some hopefully some stories that are better than the story you're probably going to be sharing with us right now. Yeah. But let's back up a little. So you studied humanities in undergrad mm -hmm. and you said, what did you just say? And it was good. Humans are the cause of climate, climate change. So let's study humans. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that was kind of my reasoning for studying humanities more so than environmental science in undergrad. Um, I felt like there were, there's so many people who are just scientists, and that's great, we need scientists, but there's not many people who look on the other side of like just working in a lab and think of, you know, why do humans make the choices they do? What choices do they make that affect the environment? How does the environment affect people? How does it affect society? And all these kind of like cascading effects from, you know, between humans and the environment. So that was what I was really interested in and what I ended up studying. So I studied oh, uh, environmental sociology, environmental history, uh, like I said, environmental ethics. So all the other, it's not the hard sciences. So again, I didn't really get field work, but it was more the uh, societal side of environmental science. That is so interesting. So what about psychology? What do you think in your studies of that and human interactions and psychology and behavioral, why do we act the way they, we, that we do towards our environment? Why don't many people care? What, what have you found in that? Yeah, I think what it really boils down to, at least in my opinion, is uh, the tragedy of the commons. If you're familiar with that, it's saying yeah. that, you know, there's, the commons, which is resources, the environment, and it's there for everybody, but not everyone, you know, takes into consideration the needs of other species, other people. They say, oh, if I just take a little bit more for myself, I'll have more benefit. And, you know, it's, it's fine if, you know, some other people might not get as much as me. I'm just going to take a little bit extra for me. Mm -hmm. And then everyone thinks that way and everyone behaves that way. And then it, it led to the current situation that we have with everything being you know degraded and overexploited. Mm, tragedy of the commons yeah that is a really um profound concept that i can't remember the guy I, who you don't happen to remember the guy who uh, harden harden this is last harden okay um yeah we we just think there'll there is enough for everyone I can take a little bit more than my fair share. I don't have to give and take and think about the other person because there's so much. It's it's plentiful, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a shame. That is, that's what we're doing on a global scale for sure. And it's, it's a problem. Huh, interesting. Okay, so then what led you to, you're now in your master's program at our local university, University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, getting your master's in environmental science. So how did that, how did you switch to environmental science and now you're doing more of the hard sciences? Tell me right. about that so, process. <laughs> yeah, so after getting my bachelor's, even towards the end of my bachelor's degree, I knew I wanted to get a master's. Um, I just thought that, you know, it's it's great to know the, the societal side and the human side environmental science, but it's also very beneficial to know the hard science behind it. Why are, you know, certain actions harmful to the environment, what's the science behind it, and be able to apply that to, you know, especially like environmental like policies and laws, that again is the more human side, but it's helpful to know 
why we need certain laws about certain activities or certain you know pollutants it's helpful to know the actual science behind it so Mm -hmm. that was my reasoning it's like okay I I know all about this societal side now let's focus on just the science side Mm -hmm. okay so what point did you do your eco-volunteer trip that um you went on it so you wanted to get field experience and so so how did you find out about it what was that process that thought process and actual finding the organization that you went with how did you find this organization (laughs) right so um I took a semester off between graduating from my bachelor's and starting my master's and Ah. during that time and this was right before the pandemic (laughs) so during that time I knew that you know I wanted to take a little bit of time off for myself I wanted to travel but I wanted to travel and get some kind of conservation skills some kind of you know training or just some kind of experience so I would at least have that under my belt before starting a master's because you know pretty much everyone starting a master's in environmental science has a a, a BS degree a bachelor's of science I had a bachelor of arts so mm. like I said I didn't really get it before and I felt like everyone else already kind of had that step up for me so I combined the the wanting to travel and being able to get some kind of some skills some conservation skills so I thought doing some kind of eco volunteer trip would be a good way to do both of those things during my semester off so Mm -hmm. this was in let's see I took my trip in September of 2019 so that was the I took off that fall semester and then started the semester after for my master's so I, of course, start just Googling, you know, different uh, organizations that I could take these kind of trips with. And I think I actually, uh, the organization that I chose, I think I saw them on like an Instagram ad. You know, of course, they're always seeing what you search on Google and give you personalized ads. So I think that's how I ended up finding that one. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, I was looking around some other ones too, trying to research them, find reviews about them, but there, there wasn't a really good central location of different reviews about these organizations. So it was difficult to find some reliable information, you know, objective information about these different organizations. Yeah. So the reviews that I did find for the organization that I went with, uh, well, first of all, they were more affordable. The prices they were advertising were more affordable than a lot of the other ones. And of course, I'm a recent graduate. I don't have all the money in the world. So I'm trying to find something that I could feasibly pay for. So I look at them, I'm researching them, looking at reviews and all of the reviews that I could find were just saying like, I had a great time. Like I really enjoyed my experience. I, it was fun. I'm like, okay, well, if you had a great time, that probably means that you got what you expected and you got what you paid for. Mm-hmm. So I just took that as they must be a legitimate organization and they're doing what they say they do so bite the bullet you know uh plan my trip with them as soon as I book my trip I get emails from you know the team saying it's like welcome you know here's what you should expect to plan and they seemed really on top of their game so I it felt it it made me feel better about choosing I'm like okay this will be okay this is the first time I've ever done any kind of eco tourism any kind of volunteer trip especially out of the country so I I booked my trip to go to Ecuador and the Ecuadorian Amazon and the Galap- 
excuse me, the Galapagos Islands. So this is the farthest I've ever traveled. I'm doing it by myself. And it made me feel good about it. So I, it made me feel okay. Um, you know, time rolls around and <laughs> wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. But yeah, that that is why I chose them though. It's just because I, the lack of objective information about them and what I could find made it seem like it was okay to choose. The yeah. team members getting in contact with me made me feel okay. So that's ultimately why I ended up choosing them. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that security and feeling like, okay, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm getting into, but here they're on top of things. They have the emails, they have their stuff together, it sounds like. Yeah. So, okay. So what were your expectations going into this trip? What did you, and what was communicated to you in these emails and in the description of the trip saying you were going to be doing? What were your expectations yeah. going in? So on their website, and funny that they don't have any of this information, they wiped out all of the trips that were available when I signed up. But previously mm -hmm. on their website, when I was looking at them, uh, they had a whole section of just environmental related trips. They did have some other ones that was like, uh, like nursing and medical uh, focused trips, but they had a whole section that was like conservation. Okay. So I looked through them and in all of their descriptions, it didn't have any very direct uh, descriptions, I guess they were, they were kind of vague, but I'm like, well, maybe it changes from trip to trip. Maybe they can't be super specific until you get there. So I was like, okay, I understand. But on there, it was just kind of general, like you'll be working with like native flora and fauna, uh, learn about uh, native vegetation, endemic species, uh, working hands-on with uh, different plants and how to identify them. Uh, just kind of along those lines, which really intrigues me because, you know, the Amazon, that's an amazing place for biodiversity. Of course, I want to work with endemic species in the Amazon and the yeah. Galapagos. So yeah. why wouldn't I? <laughs> I don't so, blame you. Yeah. So that, that really drew me in um, for that. And like I said, it, it, it was kind of vague descriptions, uh, but it did seem like it was conservation focused. And they, again, they had that whole section of just conservation experiences so uh that's that's kind of what I was expecting I, I didn't know the exact uh, kind of activities I guess that we would be doing but mm -hmm. uh I was at least expecting to get some kind of skills with uh you know different species right so the trip how long it was the trip and what was it called like was it it it, it doesn't sound like you were offered any college credit or class credit or no. anything like that any tangible sort certif of certification or or training or anything to add no. to your resume clearly how long was this trip and can i ask how much it cost yeah so they have their trip set up uh you kind of like you can like build your own i guess uh they have different links that you could choose i just did the shortest one which was two weeks uh just because i was working a job at a time that was the longest time i could take off from work but they did have them up to, I believe three or four months might've been the longest one. Okay. Um, and I actually paid extra for the add-on for the Galapagos. So if I had just picked the two week Amazon trip, it would just be two weeks in the Amazon, but I split mine up. So I spent one week in the Amazon and then the second week was in the Galapagos, which 
I had to pay about twice as much to do. But, you know, I told myself like, you know, this is a, this is not something you can just do every day if I'm that close to the Galapagos, which I mean, as you hear about that in all kinds of textbooks and all kinds of everything of, I was like, I'm that close. I just need to go. I'll just, you know, I'll pay it. I'll just go. Um, so entire duration was two weeks, one week in the Amazon, one week in the Galapagos. And for just the Amazon was about, I want to say $1,200, $1,300 okay. um, just for the Amazon. And then the Galapagos, it was, it was roughly equal in price. So it was, I believe it was about like $1,200. So total was about twenty four, twenty five hundred okay. um, for the and whole that, thing. And then I also uh, had to pay my own plane ticket. So that was, was another. I was about to say, that. was that like, so that was the upfront cost. Like you just Correct. paid say 22, 23, $2,400. And then you get there and they're like, oh, by the way, you need to play, pay for your plane ticket. Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, when I first booked it, they told me that I would have to pay for my plane ticket to Ecuador and then from Ecuador back home. And that's all they told me. Um, so I was like, mm. okay, that's not, that's not too bad. I mean, I think my plane ticket was 500, 600 bucks, which is, it's reasonable, you know, mm-hmm. all the way to Ecuador from Tennessee is that's a reasonable price. And I, and I chose that flight myself. They didn't like choose it for me and upcharge me for it. So I'm like, okay, sure. that's not too bad. But the another added cost that I was not expecting was whenever I was in Ecuador and it was about time for uh it was me and one other girl who chose the extra Galapagos add-on when it came time for us to go from Ecuador uh to the Galapagos they're like oh by the way you're gonna have to pay us for your extra plane ticket I'm like then what did I pay the extra twelve hundred dollars for (laughs) they didn't tell me that I had to also pay for a plane ticket to the Galapagos until I was already there and we were leaving the next day. And that was about, it was between 700 and $800. Ooh. Yeah. And it was through the organization, which made me feel a little iffy because for one, I don't know how much those plane tickets cost. Maybe they really did cost $800, yeah. but they didn't let us book our ticket ourselves. They yeah. booked it for us and just told us how much to pay them for the ticket. And like I said, I don't know, maybe it really did cost $800, but that seems kind of steep for just from the mainland, the closest country to the Galapagos out to an island and back. Yeah. Seems a little bit much, but. Okay. That's, that's sketch. Okay. Yeah. So once you got to Ecuador, what did you do? Like you landed you had your plane ticket that you paid and you scheduled and everything. How did they get you out to where they, the Amazon rainforest and mm-hmm. what did you actually do when you were there? Yeah. So I landed, um, I gave them my flight information so they knew what time I was coming in, what terminal and everything. They had someone meet me there and I, uh, I flew in pretty late at night. So the other group, uh, the rest of the people in the group that I was going to be with, they were um, in a hostel. They were already asleep. Uh, I just kind of show up and, you know, get my bags in there, go to yeah. sleep for the night. Uh, the next morning, and this was in Quito, um, where we were first staying at. So then the next morning, they put us in a kind of, almost like a small bus. I think there was maybe like eight to 10 of us um, and just uh, transported us out into the Amazon. It wasn't super deep into the Amazon. It was more like the edge of it. So it wasn't 
it wasn't anything too crazy to take that trip. Um, but yeah, so they met us, uh, or they met me at the airport, uh, got me with the rest of the group, and then the whole group traveled out into the Amazon. Okay, so in the sense of, that's nice that they had, um, you paid a sum, and then they said, you're staying here this night, and then we'll transport you. You didn't have to work out those arrangements, so that's in right. that sense is nice. But then when you yeah. got there, what did, what did they do, like a training? Did they do an orientation? Did they say, this is what you're going to be working on? What happened? Not really. <laughs> so uh, when we were still in Quito, before we were uh, traveling into the Amazon, they didn't really give us much of like, here's what you're going to be doing. Uh, it was, I mean, maybe to an extent, but not on the like conservation skills part. It was like, okay, we're going to leave at this time. So-and-so is going to take you here. So-and-so is going to be traveling with you. Um, just kind of like how to expect the transportation to go uh the logistics yeah the logistics yeah um so we didn't really get told the actual activities I guess that we were going to be doing until we were in the camp in the Amazon rainforest okay um so we uh, you know go on the bus get there five or six hours later um and unpack our stuff it's this little camp that's in a it's in a village it's a pretty remote village obviously in the Amazon and they have their own permanent camp um set up for these groups like us that come in uh so we go and get settled I don't believe that we did any actual work the first day uh the first day was just kind of like you know welcome to the rainforest uh you know here's a little trail you can walk around to get you know acquainted with the area just kind of like getting settled in um so the next day was the day that they like told us what we were actually going to be doing. So they just get everyone rounded up. We have our like, uh, you know, work boots on. They gave us like some buckets of some tools and stuff. They're like, okay, we're going to go walk this way. We walk about, I don't know, half a mile over to this little, uh, it looks like kind of like a community center. It's, uh, it was like a basketball court and a little like outhouse, just a little like recreational community area. Uh, for that village there and so we get there and there is someone who lives in the village and then we have a translator with us the whole time and um, the translator tells us um, so we're going to have a little bit like change of plans or like change of what you're mm. going to be doing so they go on this whole story about how there has been like droughts, there's been, you know, not enough rainfall, not enough like water supply for the village, and they're really struggling on like their water supply. I'm like, okay, like that is a legitimate concern. So they're like, we're going to be focusing on that instead of the conservation, like plants and animals side of things. I'm like, okay, like that's still environmental, that's water supply, that's, you know, that's that. And that's, and like I said, that's a legit concern that these people have if they don't have enough water. So I'm like, of course, like, let's help with that. So they try to spin it as still this environmental conservation kind yeah. of experience. But then they start handing us bags of concrete to mix. And so we end up like mixing and pouring concrete in this little building next to the outhouse to like make an outdoor shower. And okay. that was, that was, the majority of my week in the Amazon was just no. mixing, mixing concrete, pouring concrete, and tiling a shower <gasps> was my whole <laughs> conservation skills 
that I, you know, quote unquote, uh, that I was getting when I was there. And I was waiting, you know, day by day, uh, you know, there's just a handful of us, none of us are experienced in pouring concrete, you know, we don't know what we're doing. So of course it takes us forever to even do this one task. Uh, so that, like I said, like that was pretty much my whole week and day by day, I'm telling myself like, you know, this has to tie in with some kind of conservation, something like, right. They're going to, they're going to show us their water supply and how it works and how it's, you know, maybe it's, just, it's some kind of sustainable system for getting the water into the shower. No, it was just working with concrete <gasps> the whole time. And, you know, we're working like, I want to say it was like eight hour days. It was like work three or four hours at a time, take a break for lunch, work another three or four hours and then have dinner and go to sleep every you day. Have, you've got to be kidding me. That's insane. You paid for this experience and then you end up working and laying concrete every single day. Yeah. And I feel like the worst part was, you know, the, the main guy from the village who was working with us, he obviously was like the main person who would be doing this kind of work if we were not there. And he's, you know, supervising us and, like I said, like none of us are experienced with pouring concrete. We're not doing this correctly. Yeah. We're just kind of doing what we think we can do. And then on top of there being a language barrier, none of us spoke Spanish, none of us in the group. So if we didn't have our translator with us and, you know, this man is trying to tell us what to do and we don't get it, we're already unskilled in this. It was just, just bad work altogether. You know, we, we tried, but we didn't know what we were doing. So then after we, you know, go on our breaks or we go back to the camp for uh, nighttime, we see this guy come out and he is just like wiping out everything that we did because we did it incorrectly. And he's going back and doing it himself and doing it, you know, perfectly within an hour or two and making it how it should have been to begin with. So I'm like, why are we here? Like, I even remember like one of the guys that was in my group was like why are we doing this we're just doing it incorrectly and we're being like a a hindrance upon this man who was trying to get it done correctly Uh, so it it felt very much like oh like a little pat on the back here's something for you to do to make you feel like you're making a difference but then like this guy comes in and has to redo it completely anyways I'm like why are we why are we doing this I mean I'm sure we we got the you know, the foundation, we did some work that they, they could keep, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything important. Emily, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I mean, I had heard your story from what you shared with me, so I knew a little bits and pieces, but this is insane. Yeah. So what were the other people who had paid for this experience, what were they saying? Uh, I don't think any of them were too like upfront about it. Everyone was still just like trying to be nice. I think everyone was kind of feeling the same way as me. It's like, okay, we're going to get some kind of consultation skills out of this at some point. Right. Like (laughs) this has got to come full circle. Like this is, I'm just waiting for it. I'm just waiting for it. Okay. Okay. Exactly. So I think everyone else is kind of feeling the same way as me. There were a few that were a little bit more vocal of like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and they, and again, they, they kept trying to spin it as this environmental, like saving water, saving this. And like, it, it wasn't that at all. We didn't see their water supply at all. We didn't see how they use their water sources. We didn't learn anything about, you know, sustainable water sources at all. It was just go in, lay some concrete, 
pile to shower, uh, go back to camp. Oh my gosh. So did anyone speak up by the end of this week or the end of the two weeks, possibly um, for the people who didn't go to the Galapagos, did anyone speak up to like a, a leader or a director and, and say anything face-to-face? -face? Are you aware of that? Or was it just, thank you for your help. See you later. Yeah. It's pretty much how it was. Yeah. As far as I know, I don't think anyone spoke up about it, at least not um, for the week that I was there. So like I said, like I, I paid extra for the Galapagos, me and one other girl left for that. So the, the week that we were in the Galapagos, the rest of the group was still back working. Um, so I, I didn't really have much contact with them because there's, you know, there's no cell reception mm -hmm. there. So we can, you know, communicate with them and ask them how it's going. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so before you, we get to the Galapagos, so um, while you're still doing this week of laying concrete every day, was there flexibility to go see the rainforest, learn maybe from someone else? Were there other groups doing different conservation type of work that you could maybe jump on? Or um, I, I don't know, how much flexibility did you have? Did, were you just kind of forced to do this work for eight hours a day? I, it, it was a lot of work. I think we had um, one day, wow. so there was, there was another camp in the Amazon that was maybe a mile or two out that apparently the, uh, the rest of the group went for the second week. Um, and along the way, they have this trail and they would have someone uh, kind of like a guided hike and kind of like point out different things along your hike on your way to the second camp. Um, and me and the other girl that wouldn't have gotten that experience, we just asked uh, one of the group leaders like, hey, would you mind if we just walk on this trail so we could at least go in the jungle a little bit and kind of see some things, you know, while we're here. Right. Because <laughs> uh, other than that, like other than walking around the campsite or if we just kind of wandered off on our own on our breaks, we didn't really get to see much. Um, so, and if, I mean, I mean, the camp itself, the location it was, was absolutely beautiful. I don't think you could find a place in the Amazon that wouldn't be just absolutely stunning. But at the same time, you want to see more than just the camp you're sitting at. Uh, so we kind of took it upon ourselves a few times just to kind of go wander around and just look at, you know, what's around. And we did ask if we could get that guided hike before we left for the Galapagos. And they did agree and uh, gave us that. So we at least got that. But it wasn't, it was still just kind of... Uh, look at this tree like yeah <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't doing any kind of like skills like I didn't get any kind of tangible skills from that of course it was super interesting walking around and getting to see these different species but it wasn't it, you, I wasn't getting skills from that right when you go to Ecuador especially as a conservationist you want to bring something back home that mm -hmm. will actually translate to helping your career in the future. So yeah, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, it is way more frustrating than I originally thought. And I'm gonna try to add a lighthearted humor thing. I just wanna rip my my Invisalign right now. I'm like, if this is frustrating, <laughs> but your situation must've been so incredibly frustrating. So like on average, let's say you paid, um, let's say $1,300 divided by seven days for that half of a, uh, for that half of your trip, one full week. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, that's like $200 a day less than for a place Probably, to yeah. stay. And they fed you 
but they made you work doing pretty much all day pretty much all day okay yeah. interesting okay so then you left with the Galapagos and surely you were thinking like this this is where I'm gonna get my conservation experience right is that I would I would have been somewhat. like somewhat okay what were you I was at least expecting for the Galapagos they didn't spin it as much as like you're gonna get skills here it was I felt like they spun that a little bit more as like you'll learn about things in the glo- it's more of like an educational side okay so I'm like okay at least I'll like learn some things even if I'm not getting skills I will at least learn about uh, you know all the different species in the Galapagos because I mean it's the Galapagos mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you would expect to learn about all the very unique species there um so and I, I I did feel like I learned a little bit um in the Galapagos but that wasn't from the organization itself it was more like we went to some museums and we did some things there and I felt like I learned from the museum but I wasn't getting it from the organization themselves so the passive learning of like I have to kind of attach on to whatever I want to take back with me not that they're they have this amazing guided tour or something like that that you hope I would have expected at least yeah, yeah. you had to put in the work to get the information that you wanted that's, yeah, that's kind of how it felt. Like they had mm-hmm. our itinerary, like, oh, you're going to go to the museum this day. So, I mean, it was like set up for us. Like we didn't have to go find the museums. Okay. Um, but again, it wasn't like they had anyone from the organization, like guide us and tell mm-hmm. us, you know, anything or any kind of like lecture series or any kind of like, oh, we're going to go look for this species and this, you know, on this island or anything like that. Yeah. So overall, I'm getting the sense that you, this whole trip, that Ecuador, Amazon, inland rainforest, and then the Galapagos, you just, you probably came back home and just felt lacking, like you felt wanting, like you felt like you wanted so much more. What, if you could go back and do it again, what would you want? If you paid that much for this experience, what would you want to bring back with you? Knowledge or tangible or something to add to a resume like what do you miss what what do you want if you could do it again yeah if I could do it again uh first of all I probably wouldn't be doing it with the same organization (laughs) (laughs) um but I I really I was really wanting those like tangible skills it was really what I was going there for because I did not have those at all and that's really what I was looking forward to the most, especially in the Amazon, because that was how it was advertised, is that we were going to be working on conservation skills that whole time. Um, the Galapagos, I knew that it was going to be more of like a quote-unquote educational. The Galapagos did end up being a lot of like touristy things. Like yeah. they they uh, they set up like uh, snorkeling trips and things like that, which was like, I mean, yeah, I did get to see like go snorkel and see underwater and see like the uh you know all the plants and animals underneath uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was cool like uh, it just it wasn't what I was expecting and I think that that's really the biggest thing about this whole trip is like I almost feel bad complaining about it because I did have Mm. a good time but I feel like it really boils down to I had a good time because of the pure fact that I was in the Amazon and I was in the Galapagos. I didn't have a good time because I was learning conservation skills mm. or I didn't have a good time because of the 
organization I went with. I just had a good time because I was just in this area, which I could have gotten from any other organization or even just going by myself. I would have had a great time from that. But I ultimately didn't get what was advertised to me, which is really the biggest thing that, you know, I came home and was just kind of feeling like, did I really get what I paid for? Yeah. You know? Oh, that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Like you feel like you've been duped or tricked. Yeah. Yeah. Manipulated, exploited. So what breaking down what tangible skills did you want to learn? Like, I mean, you mentioned you didn't have a science background going into your master's, so you wanted to learn that. Like, were you looking specifically for like like field skills? If so, what? Um, what how can you describe that in a just so I can, as I'm talking to other people and I'm thinking, what do we want to get when we're down somewhere, wherever we travel? What kind of skills are we actually looking for? I know yeah. when I travel, I don't want to go sit on a beach. I definitely don't want to be paying and laying concrete. I want to be yeah. getting, you know, butterfly, bug identification, bird identification, tree identification skills. I want to know how they do their field research skills so that I can, if I'm paying for an experience, I want to have that unique set of skills. And obviously I can't do Amazon rainforest field techniques in the United States, but it does translate. So what were you looking for? Field skills, tangible skills. Right. Um, I guess the identification, yeah, that would have yeah. been helpful. Like you said, like it's going to be different in the Amazon compared to anywhere else, but uh, just to have a basic kind of like, this is at least what you should look for, the different characteristics, uh, you know, to identify different species. Or uh, if we were doing like hands-on and any kind of I don't know what hands-on things we could have been doing, but right. Besides <laughs> laying concrete. Right. Yeah. Um, but just any kind of like hands-on. So I, I would have at least been comfortable with like, okay, I have done some kind of field work before, you know, before I get into my master's, I can at least like be comfortable with handling different tools or handling, you know, different whether it be wildlife or plants or just how to handle different things, just be comfortable with doing that because, you know, like I mentioned, like this would have been my first time doing any of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just wanted to get kind of, even if I didn't, you know, become like a master, you know, <laughs> tree identifier, you know, at least like be comfortable with what I was doing. So if I were to come back and start doing more of it, I would know what to expect, what, what to do, you know, something and how to do some things exactly yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> something more than laying concrete, concrete in a shower that is bonkers um man thank you for sharing your story I hate that yeah. that happened to you and I think that you sharing your story will help other people hopefully help other people avoid these types of experiences is there anything else you want to add or share or final thoughts before we wrap it up I think doing, not just doing more research on organizations, because I mean, that, that's what I try to do. But I think like, you know, tying all of this back into NOVA conservation is, you know, I didn't have a good resource of objective information. Um, you know, I, I tried to find what I could, but it obviously wasn't enough to raise any red flags for me to not go with them. And I think, uh, I, 
I do think there have been some more people who have taken trips with this particular organization and have spoken up about it because I have now, uh, you know, knowing what I know now and knowing that I was taken advantage of and knowing all of the different tactics that these organizations use, I know, you know, uh, what really happened. So I'm trying to find more people who maybe did have the, the same kind of experience as me and did leave some reviews or anything about that. And I have seen more and more now of people speaking up about it. It's like, okay. hey, like I did not get what I was advertised. Uh, I think I read one review of someone who went and they said, you know, I didn't get what I was expecting. But by the time I was there, I just had to buckle down and accept that I'm not getting what I paid for, which is exactly how I felt was, you know, I'm already here. What can I do? I just have to buckle down and accept that this is what I'm getting. Um, yeah, so I think it is, it's definitely extremely, extremely helpful to have some sort of, you know, core database of these kind of organizations and their, you know, different reviews and information about them. Because if I, if I had that kind of resource before I took my trip, I think it would have been much different. I think I would have had a much better experience if I had more information about different organizations and, you know, had more information on guiding me on which one to pick. Right, right. Yeah. And it's so it's so sad because, you know, as conservationists, we just hope and trust that these companies, these organizations that we're traveling with and we're giving our money to are doing good for the environment, for the local communities, for even the, the people who pay and the trip participants, the interns, the volunteers, what have you. We just I mean, I'm very, I'm a very trusting person. I'm like, oh yeah, that'll be fine. No worries. But the truth is like people are deceitful and people want to put money in their CEO's pockets. And those are the ones that are most easy to find on Google searches and marketing, have the marketing budgets and everything. So I, I feel for you. Um, I have had similar experiences. So yeah, I, I hope that we can make some kind of difference in the industry and really, lift up the organizations that are doing the best work but have no budget and while at the same time being like hey stay away from other organizations over here that yeah don't give them your money (laughs) yeah don't give them your money um well thank you so much for being on here emily i really appreciate you sharing your story and i hate that that happened to you but um and i'm also really thankful for the work and the help that you have been to me through nova conservation um, of course. I didn't say this at the beginning of the episode, but Emily is our graduate intern, and this is her Learn Discourse project is helping build Nova Conservation. So yeah, even within this, there's a little bit of a bias. Like <laughs> I, I brought you on because I know your story and your background, but I also know that you have been so vital and helpful to help build this. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was great talking with you. I will talk to you later. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Yeah. So I'm really glad I got to have that conversation with Emily and I wanted to add my tips at the end that if you're ever like her in a situation where you want to gain some field experience or real hands-on conservation experience and you don't have that for whatever reason, here are some tips to avoid exploitation. So first, I would be wary of any organization that you Google search and they're like on the top five results. 
And this is because having started an organization of my own, I know that it takes a lot of time and money to be high on those Google search engine results. So generally speaking, organizations that have a lot of money for their marketing budget and advertising budget are going to pop up higher. Now, this doesn't take into account really credible organizations that have been around a long time. Some of those are super solid and have just been well established and therefore, you know, are higher on the search engine result, not necessarily because they're paying Google to be high on the search engine result, but it's something to be careful of. Second, I would say that if you can at all possible, if at all possible, stay local, stay to your local region and help nonprofits and help organizations where you are locally. And this is because yes, we want to travel and we want to gain experience in a unique culture and a unique place like Costa Rica, like Australia, if you're not from there, that is. And we dream about working with wildlife in these touristy locations. And that's well and good. And there's credibility and there's validity in that. However, there's also a higher likelihood of organizations who are going to take advantage of those desires that we have to work in exotic locales with charismatic species. And if you just want fieldwork experience, you can get that where you are locally. It may take some digging, it may take some asking around, but you can find it and you can save yourself a lot of money. Plus, and we'll talk about this in further episodes, if you put down something on your resume where you travel and pay it out of pocket, that makes you look more desirable to employees, yet it also discredits those of us who maybe couldn't travel and couldn't pay for these opportunities to the exotic places. And that unfortunately hinders diversity, inclusion, and equity of all groups of people within our industry. So systemic problems to be aware of. And third, I would say ask around. There are plenty of forums. The one that I frequent the most are on Facebook and their Wildlife Science Career Network or Wildlife Workers Network, for example. And on these forums, you can have conversations, you can ask questions, and usually people are really willing to help out and help you answer any questions you might have or concerns you might have about an organization that you're looking to travel with. I think these three tips are a good place to get started if you browse on our database at novaconservation.com. You can review some organizations yourself and read about what other people are saying about certain organizations and their ethical level and treatment of animals. So I hope this helps. Let us know what you think and how else we can help conservation. And as always, if you want to be a Patreon supporter, it costs as little as $3 a month a month, a month, <laughs> $3 a month. And you can go to patreon.com slash Nova conservation, all one word, no underscore. And we would really appreciate your support. Thank you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. And remember ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth. There's enough money to go around. Let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet. Thank you.